0: Hello and welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life podcast. My name is Jim Duke and I'm the pastor of Olmstead Baptist Church in Olmstead, Kentucky. I'm thankful you're listening and pray it will be a blessing and help to you. Our subject for today is found over here in the book of Ephesians, uh, the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. The scripture says, And hath put all things under his feet, speaking of the Father, putting these things under the feet of the Son, and gave him the Son to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the Son's body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And I believe that fullness of him is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be argued that it would be the Father, but we know indeed it is God. And so we've been taking a look in uh, two previous messages about this uh, term, this phrase, all in all. Uh, we see that the Lord uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse number six, and in that passage, we see about we need to yield ourselves and, and, and be a subject to and be blessed by the Lord working all in all of us and the children of God and certainly in his churches. He's given us gifts. He's equipped us. And we need to be uh, subject to that and desirous of that and look forward to that and be used of the Lord in that way, not grieve the spirit, not quench the spirit. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, that great gospel summarized in resurrection chapter, uh, we see there, uh, in verse number 28, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, unto Christ, then shall the Son also be subject unto him that put all things under him, that is the Father, that God may be all in all. And so we look forward to that eternal day when God will be all in all and he'll be his spirit uh, just uh, filling and wrapping and blessing in every good thing, uh, n- nothing of glory in the new heaven and the new earth is of us. It's all of the Lord. And he saves his children and brings us to that place uh, in eternity and will experience that rapturous, just wondrous thing of our Lord being all in all of us for the saved. And then this here in Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 and 23, we see this uh, involving the Lord Jesus and the church and uh, referring to the church as his body. And it's speaking in the institutional sense. It is an institution, uh, the family being that first institution, government being the second ordained by God. And then the church, his church being the third institution and, and no uh, no consideration, well, not maybe that's a bad word, but no uh, necessity about dealing with a family or dealing with a tribe or dealing with a nation. Uh, the salvation of the Lord is offered and, and, and proclaimed unto all men, all of Adam's race, the human race. And this of the church has no requirement of being a Jew or a Gentile. If you're a person and you receive Christ and you believe and trust him and he saved your soul and you submit to baptism, as is the pattern that our Lord gave us, uh, and baptism can only be administered by one of his churches uh, to be scriptural and to be true, thereby joining that church, uh, there's a fullness that is at hand in that. So we want to take a look at that in this first chapter of the book of Ephesians. We want to take a look at the whole chapter, and bring it down here to the end, where we see this phrase that we might have clear understanding about it, the context of it. Ephesians chapter one, verse number one. We said in verses two, we have Paul's greeting. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, God called him to the saints which are at Ephesus. They're in Asia Minor, to the west, major city, uh, the city of the great goddess Diana, that that heathen goddess Diana. Uh, which was just a terrible, wicked representation uh, of a woman, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So he's writing to the saints there, to this church, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we understand the context is he's writing to the church in Ephesus, Ephesus, which is made of the saints uh, that are there. Uh, it's a part of that church. He desires good things for them. He desires... Uh, to, to minister unto them, as he has, uh, writing to them again. He, he is used of the Lord to carry the word of God there, and many uh, saved in a church formed uh, by the Lord, built by the Lord there in that city of Ephesus. And he, so he's writing unto them and di- desires the continued graciousness and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ unto them. Okay, so let's listen to what he says. Next we want to see about the blessing. He's going to spend a lot of time, a lot of verses dealing with the blessing of the Father's spiritual blessings upon them and upon us, the saved in his churches. And so listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Because you understand it's at the throne room of God that spiritual blessings are directed. It's at the throne room of God in the third heaven where the Father is there and the Son is sitting at his right hand. And spiritual blessings come from no other place than from heaven itself, the throne room of God. And he makes that clear, uh, God the Father and uh, and uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, having been made of man and become a man, he's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And he's done so in Christ Jesus, our Savior, his, his only begotten Son. And so uh, he, uh, he blesses the Lord for this blessing that he bestows upon us. And let's listen to what he uh, gives expanse and clarity about. In verse number four, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, many get tore up about this. And, and, and frankly, the reason is, is that two, two things, uh, three things, maybe uh, the greatness of God and the lowliness of man the righteousness of God and the disparity between that and the wickedness and the depravity of man. People that don't want to accept what the Bible clearly says about the Lord choosing do not understand sin, the terribleness and the wickedness of sin, the separating work and power of sin against the righteousness, the white-hot righteousness of God Almighty, Paul makes it very clear that there is a chosen people. Now, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the saved here at Ephesus. He's speaking to we who are saved here. And the true context, the, the complete context, is in his churches, okay? Now, someone doesn't have to be in one of the Lord's churches to be saved. Uh, that's evidenced in the Scripture. We, we can point out several in the Scripture that are not part or, or members of one of his churches, but are saved, okay? And so he's, he writes uh, in particular to this church. That's the context. Save people in his church, and he says, "The blessing, the spiritual blessings of the Lord, started with him choosing in choosing us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So he's chosen. He's chosen uh, his, his people." And they will be brought to be holy and without blame before him in love. If the Lord had not worked to this end, there would be none that would be saved. But he tells who? He doesn't tell everybody. He tells those who are saved what the Lord has done. And what these things about the working of God even before time, even before the foundation of the world what it does is it gives us understanding of our desperateness naturally before the Lord and how wonderful he has been toward us, how loving he has been toward us, being dead in trespasses and sins, having saved us and even worked on our behalf before there was time. And so Uh, We don't need to ball up at this. We don't need to get excited about this and, and dispute and deny the word of God. But the Lord has chosen. And it was necessary that he chose because of the terribleness and the rottenness and the depravity that sin has brought upon mankind. We would never seek the Lord by ourselves. We wouldn't even know to being dead in our sins. And this choosing, he says here plainly, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The salvation that he would bring makes us so. The righteousness of Christ makes us so. The justification of our Lord upon those who are saved and those whose the righteousness of Christ has been laid and given to them and laid upon them, bringing the justification of God Almighty upon the saved sinner. That makes us without blame before him. And indeed, love, love has been manifested. Love has been shown of God upon sinners in what he has done. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And so then there is this choosing, there is this predestinating. he It's a biblical word. He does this. And what's it say? He's predestinated us unto the adoption of children. He before determined that he would adopt sinners unto himself. He would adopt his people, a people chosen unto himself. And don't be don't quarrel with it. Don't rest against it. Don't, don't, don't accuse God in it. Praise God that he was willing to work when our situation was so impossible. He, knowing all things, knowing the beginning from the end and always abiding there and living there in eternity as God always has, he has been loving and gracious and merciful unto sinners who did not deserve a thing from him, even so much so that he not just made us a servant in his eternal house, but those that he saves he adopts as children. And he does so by his only begotten Son, the Son, the Heir, the Son of God, was willing to come and do such a wonderful thing. And he's not jealous over the love of the Father. But the son is willing to share that love and, and be, a, uh, be a a, uh, a shower forth and a manifester of that love towards mankind, towards sinners, towards his people. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, we ask why. Uh, it's in mankind naturally to ask why. And the answer to why is, is because he wanted to. Because he wanted to, the good pleasure of his will. That is what the motivator is. It's not anything about what we have done. It's not anything about what we can claim. It's not about anything that we can bring, but what the Lord has chosen to done, to do, and has done for sinners, for his people. Verse six. He he has done so according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, of his graciousness. And understand that this word grace is a summary term describing so many things that the Lord does. If we begin to define the graciousness of the Lord, we're going to have an endless list of his working, his consideration, his, his, his purposing, his his bringing things to pass, the manifestation of his power, the the great working that he alone is able to do, the condescension of the Lord unto us. Understand that the grace of the Lord, that word grace in the scriptures, indeed a summary term of so many details, so many facets, so many things worked by our Lord on the behalf of sinners, on the behalf of his people. And he has done these things that he might be glorified yet even more. That, that, that's the purpose of it. And, you know, we don't need to be galled by that because God is due all the glory and praise that we can give and more. He is due that. That's who he is, and we need to understand that. See, in, in, the, in these doctrines of the choosing of the Lord and, and this predestination of the Lord, man naturally does not want to yield to the greatness of God. Man wants to take God and pull him down here on our plane, that he would have our emotion, that he would have our thinking, that he would have our judgment, that he would have our reasoning. But his reasoning, his thinking, his wisdom is far and above our own. And as we preached recently, ours is to humble ourselves before God and say, yes, Lord. Ours is to submit before God and say, yes, Lord. Ours is to humble ourselves and submit ourselves before God and repent of our sins and our iniquity and our weakness and our sin and wretchedness before God and say, yes, Lord, and no unto ourselves. He says here, He has done these things according to the good pleasure of His will, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein, in that grace, He has made us accepted in the beloved. He's made it to where a sinner like me, if you're saved, you can say so for yourself, a sinner like you can be accepted in His house. Not to be a stranger there, not to be just merely a servant there, a ministering spirit there, as are the angels but to be accepted in the beloved. This word beloved is the the noun form and connection to that of agape love. Uh, The love of the Lord is that that leads to action. And agape is speaking about just an abundance, an abundance, an overflowing of that love. And that love is manifested, is given, is directed unto the beloved, the subject, the sinner that has been saved, that has been made a child of God, that has been drawn, that has been called, that has been purposed in Christ even before the beginning of the world. Verse number seven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now see, a misplacing of these doctrines about the choosing and the predestination of the Lord causes many to forget about the working of the Lord in his gospel. But see, that is what we see here is that those who are the Lord's, those who are the chosen, those who he has predestinated to this adoption of children are those that receive and believe what the Lord has done for them in a substitutionary way. The promises that he has given. He says, in whom we have redemption. That word redemption is talking about a payment. Through his blood, his blood was shed for me for my sins. The forgiveness of sins, it goes on to say in verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, his graciousness. His graciousness has caused the son, has has burdened the son to be willing to become a man, that he might grow up to be from a babe to a a child to a, a boy to a young man to a man. And in the prime of his life, Uh, being a man, yet being God, which is a marvel, but he did so that he might have a body to have bloody, a body to have blood in that he might, that he would shed and has shed on the cross of Calvary and apply to the mercy seat in heaven for his people. And then, and then saved from Adam until the, the last person that he saves there in the the nation of Israel at his his coming again and setting his feet uh, upon this earth in deliverance for Israel and judgment upon the wicked and upon the nations of the earth. Those are the riches of his graciousness. He's worked. (laughs) He's worked and is working in so many things to bring redemption forgiveness of sins yes even as the scripture says in other places even the forgiveness of sins Uh, the writer seems to marvel over that that the greatest extent of our need is met in Christ Jesus our Lord according to the riches of his grace his graciousness unto us again a summary term that describes and covers so many things verse 8 wherein he hath abounded toward us it is abounding indeed. It, it, it is widespread unto us. It is not any There's no holding back on the part of the Lord wherein in this grace he has abounded and toward us in all wisdom and prudence. The wisdom of the Lord is what it took. I understand that the disciples, the apostles asked the Lord, who then can be saved? And Jesus said with men, this is impossible. You know, those that believe that they carry salvation in a bag or in a briefcase or in a bucket I need to understand that Jesus says that salvation of souls with men is impossible. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord, Brother Jonah testified. And you know what Jesus said to his disciples when, that, when they came to understand that who then can be saved? And Jesus said unto them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Verse 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And, And in this prudence, it speaks of not only of wisdom, as has already been noted there, but mental action and activity. The Lord The Lord purposed in his plan and his working. The great intellect of the Lord and moral insight, necessity. The Lord has covered things and dealt with things that would never even be known by you and me. And he's done that. The salvation that he has brought in the Lord Jesus Christ is complete and full. Verse number nine. Verse number 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, and that's the bringing of his word unto us, and the bringing of the scripture and the witness of his people, carrying that of our need according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Why? Because he wanted to. Praise God, he wanted to. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth even in him. And so here we have a first hint of how things, Jesus being the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah, Jesus being that one mediator between God and man, Jesus being the intercessor between God and man, we see here this word dispensation is talking about the stewardship that the Lord has Put upon himself that in the dispensation, the stewardship of the fullness of time, as time would go on, the Lord would bring His plan to pass and would be working. He might gather together in one all things in Christ. We saw that in the previous uh, podcast, previous message about that. That the Lord Jesus, when all are subdued unto Him, even death is defeated that he'll take all of that that is brought subject to him and he'll deliver it up to the Father. It's speaking about those same, same things. And he says here, Having made known, known unto us, we who are saved, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, with he had, which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, and which are on earth, even in him, even in Christ, all the heaven will be made subject to him, and, 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 and earth will be made subject to him. Verse number 11, in whom, speaking of Christ, also we have obtained inheritance. So not only not only has uh, we, do we have redemption, not only do we have forgiveness of sins, but we have an inheritance, and that's the nature of a father child relationship, in whom also we have obtained inheritance, being predestinated. There's that word again, but it's so according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So we see here that the chosen of the Lord have been predestined to be heirs to an inheritance. Jesus told the disciples and told us, don't fear. It is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Nothing will escape the Lord. No one can stay his hand and ask him, hey, what are you doing over here? Nobody can do that. He works at all after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. I want you to see this here. These things are being told unto the saved. And maybe you're listening and you're not saved. And understand about this choosing and this predestinating. Uh, It may sound like gobbledygook. It may cause you to run to an incorrect opinion of the Lord saying that the Lord is unmerciful and ungracious. Oh, but that's false. That is false. He is merciful. He's gracious. He's loving. And understand this is all brought back. Then these things are revealed unto those who first trusted in Christ. See, there's no escaping. A wrong application of this is that people are saved. Because they understand about the choosing and the predestinating of the Lord. But that's not so. People are saved by trusting in Christ Jesus, by the operation of God. And then we are told these things that even give us greater confidence and praise and thanksgiving unto our Lord. What's he say? That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. Listen to the order here. This is God speaking. This is the word of God speaking. That after ye heard the word of truth, as it says here in verse number nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he have purposed in himself, the word of God begins to bring that to us. In whom ye also trusted, verse 13, after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that Jesus came and died, lived, suffered blood, and died, was buried, and rose again the third day from the dead. The gospel, that a sinner like you and me could be saved, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, I didn't write down the order. I didn't write down what the Lord gives us here in the scripture and telling us about the order of the operation of God amongst sinners. But that's what he says. He says a, a person is not saved by knowing about the choosing of the Lord and he is predestinating work before the foundation of the world. A person is saved by trusting in Christ Jesus. After hearing the word of truth that, it, that the Lord is proactive in bringing unto to us he brings the gospel unto us, telling us of Christ. And we're commanded to believe, to receive it. And when we are saved, when he saves our souls, we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. A promise, making good on the promise that all that come to him he will not cast out. And making good on the promise of future things that he has promised unto those that he has saved. The promises haven't been fulfilled unto us. Many have been, but there are many to come. And listen to what he says here. In whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So we see here that the Holy Spirit of promise that lives within us and that's another definition of salvation is the Spirit of God living within. Uh, he is that the Holy Spirit of God living with, within we who are saved, the one that is saved, that saved sinner. He's the earnest of our inheritance. He's the down payment of the inheritance that we have coming. Not that we deserve, but that has been promised us by our Heavenly Father <laughs> until the redemption Of the purchased possession, he's he's redeemed us by his blood. The Lord Jesus has Uh, the first the payment that is made is for our sins, and then as we saw in that resurrection chapter, the finality, the the bringing of that uh, to a close of all of the full salvation of the Lord. Our souls are saved now. Uh, We don't hold to the scripture teaching a double blessing or something like that, or as stages in salvation. But understand, the Spirit is made alive by virtue of the Spirit of God living within. We are dead no more. Our soul has been saved because Jesus has died for us, was buried, and rose again. And his Spirit lives within us. And then one day our bodies will be saved, as we saw in the previous message, where the Lord rose from the dead. And and those that are in Christ will raise from the dead indeed. He will bring us. And this Holy Spirit is the earnest, it's the earnest money, if you will, of those promises to come until the redemption of the purchased possession, verse 14, and all of that to our praise, no, to glorify our Lord who is in heaven that is coming for us, that lives within us, that helps us to live for him now, to glorify him eternally which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Brother Paul then goes into a, a thanksgiving and prayer uh, for these folks at Ephesus, and, and it applies to us uh, to grow in our Lord. Listen to what he says. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, he, he didn't hear about their understanding about the the choosing and the predestination. He heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto the saints. Uh, Do you love the saints? Do you love to be around the saints? Do you love to fellowship and worship with the saints? Do you love the saints to go and help them in their need and bear their burdens and weep with them and sorrow with them and rejoice with them? Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He prays for them. Lord, help us that we pray one for another. We need to pray for one another more, don't we? I pray for you and mention you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that you might grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. He might grow in understanding about him and what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and that's what we need. We need more enlightenment to the word of God and to the scripture. That you might have this enlightening, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What the riches of the glory, and the riches of the of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He says, that's what I pray for you, that the Lord might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We, we need to seek the face of our Lord in regards to this, especially in such a time as this is. But always, we need the Lord's wisdom. We need him to reveal unto us his will and what we should do and pursue. We need the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. and We need to pray for that, that we might know, that we might know what he wants us to do, that we might know what the hope of his calling is in us, that we might know those promises and rest in them and know what the riches of his inheritance uh, in the saints, that we have an inheritance. As the apostle wrote there in 1 Corinthians 15 in the previous message, we touched on that. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We have a future hope and we have a present hope indeed. Then we come here uh, to this phrase, all in all. And, and, and we see here about uh, the connection here. So, so he, he, he writes into this church. Uh, desiring them to understand what the Lord has done for us, even before time, we the saved are now informed about this great working of God. It gives us confidence in Him. It it helps us to understand that He has saved us. We have not saved ourselves. He has worked greatly in in His His operation and His working, as it says there in Colossians, the great operation of God. And then then He desires us to to. Uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, that we might have wisdom, that he might reveal uh, things unto us, our understanding being enlightened. And you know what? And here's what he's going to do. He's going to give us some things for that understanding to be enlightened, for our wisdom to grow, that we might have godly wisdom, and the revelation of Christ Jesus might be shown more to us. He's going to give us a taste of that here. And it's a wonderful thing. Verse 19. Christ Jesus' fullness manifested in his churches. Christ Jesus' fullness manifested in his churches. Verse 19. Let me back up to verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And that you might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, and so that we might know the greatness of his power toward usward who believe in him. His power is great, and he can, he can work in us and help us to do the impossible. And that we might know that. And, and, he, and he says, listen, listen to what he's done, which he wrought this power. He wrought in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. That's the kind of power that he's got. His power over death. And set him on his own right hand in in the heavenly places. Know that power. Know that power of life that the Lord is. He's raised Christ far above all principality. Verse 21. And power and might and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Uh, he, 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 has, he has raised Christ and he set him far above as he promised and told him that he would for a purpose. And it put all things under his feet, like we have seen in the previous message, message two on this all in all, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Here we know all generally, but here we know all specifically regarding his kind of church the power of the Lord is exceeding great and we need to know it and his power has been great to usward who believe he's speaking at the church at Ephesus so uh, saints that are in one of the Lord's churches there in Ephesus and he has he has given Christ the father has to be head over all things to the church. What's he say? Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now I want us to just slow down right here for this and 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 break this down. The Father has, is putting all things under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father in his design and his work, if you will, God Almighty has given Christ Jesus to be the head, the leader over all things to the church. We mentioned that in an earlier podcast about how sad it is for a church not to have Jesus as their head. If Jesus is not their leader, uh, like we see that one of the churches there in in Revelation chapter 3, that Jesus is on the outside knocking, looking to come in and fellowship with anybody, in the church that will have him. What a sad state. May God help us that not be the state of our church. He says he's put him, the Father has put him, uh, put things, all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. And listen to this, the fullness, the church, the body of Christ, the fullness, which is speaking about the repletion, meaning the filling up completely. It's brimful completion. Okay. It it is done. It is finished. Although we live in this life and our work is not done, but institutionally speaking here, Jesus is the leader of his churches. They are his bodies and they are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The Lord's churches, the Lord's New Testament churches, are the manifestation of His fullness that filleth all in all. And, and we saw this in the first uh, message on this subject about how the Lord gifts, gives gifts unto different members of the church to use in the ministry that the Lord has called us together to in His church. And, and this is a, a, a way, maybe a more general or a broader way uh, to declare that. And so we know that, and I'm thankful that we had that message first before we came to this. But the church, how is it that the church can be a manifestation of this fullness, this repletion, this, this brimful, this level full, filling of the Lord Jesus himself? He's given uh, Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, okay? The church is his body. The fullness of him, the, the church is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Well, see, it is that institution that the Lord created in the day of his ministry and that went on and made other churches. There's no such thing as a universal church um, as we live here on this earth, one day, all the saints in the Lord's churches will be gathered together in that great assembly with the Lord. But that's a future time we're talking about now, the context of the scripture is now. There's no such thing as a universal, uh, invisible church. Um, it just cannot be, but there is a body bodies and each church Having the Lord Jesus as their leader, their head, is a manifestation of his fullness, the fullness of the one that filleth all in all. How can that be? Well, he saved us, hadn't he? And not only has he saved us, he's called us to this wonderful work uh, in his church. I'm speaking institutionally. And all of this work, when we are submitted to the Lord and we're not going our own way, all of this work is because of him, For him, at his instruction, at his empowerment, and for the glorification of him. The work of the Lord in his churches, made up by his children that he saves and places therein. Every ordinance, the two ordinances that we have, the preaching of his word, the teaching of his word, and the work that is done is a manifestation of the fullness of the Lord. And understand, in his churches, you don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be a Gentile. You need to be a human being. And you need to see yourself as a sinner. And repent of your sins before God. And believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And the Lord having saved you, you submit to that public testimony of baptism. Because of what the Lord has done, not to do anything, other than obey Christ in the first works, but to show forth what Christ has done for you and then be part of a body that is to be nothing but the fullness of our Lord Jesus manifested on this earth. It will be a terrible time when his churches are removed from this earth. It will, won't it? Because as the Lord said, we are to be salt and light. We are the only institution that can be salt and light in this lost and dying world. Because the Lord's churches are the fullness, the brimful repletion of him that filleth all, everything we need, everything that there is that we need, he's got it, that filleth all in all. The subjects, the people, the members, all. May God help us that we submit to that, that we desire that, that we seek our Lord's face in that, and we serve our Lord faithfully in his church, in his kind of church, until the day that the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for us. May our Lord help us. Brother John, he testified of this in his ministry. Uh, We find this verse in Mark chapter 1, verse number 8. Brother John the Baptist, he said, I indeed have baptized you with water. But he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And that's what this is speaking about is the Lord's churches are a Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, filled, centered, complete and total operation and work. It's all by him, through him, and for him. And he's pleased to use sinners that he saved uh, like you and me in conclusion, connection, and application. Our God is all in all. Uh, we live on this earth being his children, and he gifts us. It is the same God as we saw in First Corinthians 12 uh, that, that uh, worketh all in all. And may we submit ourselves. May we yield to this in every moment of our lives, uh, to this filling and this working of the Lord in us and his gifting of us and using us for the time that we have left to serve him. And next, we saw that in the end, uh, which we saw really is the beginning of eternity, uh, it uses those words there in First Corinthians 15. When we are unified with our Lord God Almighty for eternity, we will, and, 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 and Unified with God Almighty for eternity, our great God and Father indeed will be all in all of us, the saved, the children of God. Um, it will be a glorious time. As it says there in first Corinthians fifteen twenty eight, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that have put that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And then now, as we've seen in this message, and here in Ephesians chapter 1, and also now, as we have been made members, we who are saved that are members of his kind of institution, his churches, may we be thankful for, work in, and enjoy this great fullness of his filling, being our all in all. Our Lord is our all in all in his churches, his churches being a manifestation of such great fullness of our Lord. May we understand that and may we desire to take our part in that and our Lord use us in that way. If you're here and you're not uh, saved, we point you to our Lord Jesus Christ. He's He's a wonderful Savior. He is the Savior. He's the only Savior that can do anything about your sin and your great need. We point you to him. Uh, The command of the Lord is simple. Repent of your sins before God and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you and I are never told to save ourselves. We're never told to save ourselves because we can't save ourselves. But we are told to repent of our sins before God and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to call out unto him for mercy, to believe uh, the word of God that is coming to us and I trust has come to you. And we pray that the Lord will open your eyes and your heart and your ears to the truth of your great need, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would repent and believe and that our Lord would save your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your good word. We thank you, Father, that you are our all in all. Now, as we live and as we serve you in your churches, as we walk with you, and one day in eternity, Father, you will be all in all, and what a glorious thing it will be to experience that. We thank you, Father, that we uh, we who are saved can uh, will experience that through the promises and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for our Savior. And we pray, Father, for those that are not saved, those of our family members and neighbors and acquaintance, folks we work with and come in contact with, go to school with, Father. We pray that you would save them. And, Father, help our nation. And cause us, Father, as a nation that we would repent of our sins before you. And we would uh, seek your forgiveness and turn from our wicked ways. We are a bloody nation, Father. We desire the blessings of the Lord upon America. But, Father, we must say that first we must say, Lord, please forgive America. And, Father, be merciful to us. Save the people of our land, region, and community. And help us to be a good witness to all, we pray. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, if you'd like to listen to other messages from God's word, I want to take this opportunity to invite you to our church's website at almsteadbaptistchurch.org. That's O-L-M-S-T-E-A-D baptistchurch.org. Um, where we've got, uh, we're under the media tab, you'll find recordings of our local radio broadcast in about 13 minute segments or so uh, for the past many, many, many years. You may also visit our BaptistArchive.com website. That's BaptistArchive, all one word, dot com website, where we have hundreds of messages brought by many Baptist preachers uh, along with messages by my, from myself. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to the next time we can look into our Lord's word together on the Wonderful Words of Life podcast.